ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gun Racks Nord Desert Institute School of Firearms Technology's official podcast. I'm Josiah Upper. Folks, call me Joey, and with me, we actually have two people, but we'll serve the first one up. It's me, it's Drew Poplin. It is Drew Poplin. I'm assuming that's who you were talking about. Yes, it is. It is. We we probably could have gone into this with a more cohesive plan, but that'll work for now. Would it really be the gun rack if it was smooth? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Wearing the only manufactured Winston-Salem Dash hat, I assume in sports franchise history. (laughs) It's truly an honor to uh, represent the dash on such you represent all of their merchandise sales in the year that you purchased it i probably should get some sort of compensation for that but um yeah you know maybe if they if they could win a playoff series too that would be that'd be nice zip fizz first though but anyway we have a very exciting show for you guys we're excited to share with you uh do you want to introduce our guest here today Yes, sir. So we are very happy to have Michael Ullman of Ullman Precision on the show. We're very excited to talk to him in a couple seconds. Before we do that, though, just a quick word about SDI. Sonoran Desert Institute, otherwise known as SDI, is an online school that helps students learn the skills and techniques they'll need to be successful in the firearms and unmanned technology industries. SDI is accredited by the Distance Education Accrediting Commission, a.k.a. the DEAC. And currently, in the fields of firearms technology, we offer two different programs. We have the Associate of Science in Firearms Technology and the Certificate in Firearms Technology Gunsmithing. For more information about those programs and you know everything we offer, head to our website. It's www.sdi.edu. Again, www.sdi.edu. So, Michael, thank you so much for coming on to the Gun Rack. We're very, very happy to have you on. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's uh, nice to be invited. Absolutely. And you're based out of New Braunfels, Texas, right? Braunfels? Braunfels, yeah. Okay, okay. I got it on the second. Yeah, uh, no second. S in the middle. How are you surviving uh, this Texas seat this summer? I hear it's pretty brutal this year. It is hot. Yeah, it's uh, nice and uh, nice and hot. <laughs> and our AC in the house went out a few weeks ago. So oh, no, uh, it only got up to 96 in the house. And I told my wife it was a chance to play Texas Pioneer, and she was not thrilled about it. <laughs> yeah, our AC is out right now, too. My wife was equally unenthused. Yeah. <laughs> I- I'm starting to get nervous now because I feel like it's my turn soon. So You live in the mountains, though. Like, it's... Yeah, what what is the warmest it gets where you're at at any point in time? Like 82? I mean, it's been in the 90s the last, you know, little bit. I don't believe you. Well, you have it's to remember, we're in the mountains, weird. but we're also close to South Carolina. That's true. That's true. What a weird place you live. So, Michael, again, is the owner and um, founder of Ullman Precision. Michael, would you mind giving just a short overview of Ullman Precision and you know what you guys do and sort of what your mission is? 
So uh, at uh, Ullman Precision Products, we do um, a variety of things, but our primary base is checkering tools. So we supply the firearms industry with checkering tools uh, worldwide, and we do some other things also to help supplement our income. We make we do some boutique manufacturing for different firearms companies in the country. So we do, I've formulated some methods for doing short runs of parts. So, you know, it's hard for a small manufacturer that maybe has a a part that they, that they want to make, or they make manually and it costs them too much to kind of take away from their other main business, but they really like this product and they only need a year or whatever. And a big machine shop wants to make 5,000 of them and they don't have the capital to do that. And and I have come up with ways that we can do short run manufacturing of parts from anywhere from 25 to like 400 and, and at a cost effective rate, whereas a big machine shop would, the parts would be exorbitantly expensive. We can do it at a really reasonable rate. I have a couple MBA professors that would probably like to talk to you about that without, you know, spilling too much of your secret. This is how I run my business sauce. How does that work? We use a, a formula of uh, magic and ingenuity. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I've come up with fixtures and fixture plates and just designs that allow us to change things out in the machines really quickly. We keep our overhead low, and I have one full-time employee and actually another full-time employee that just started this week and then an office. Oh, nice. Very good. Yeah, so <clears throat> we do that. Part of the need for the other... Uh, employee was because our checkering tools, which we're the only manufacturer in the world that make checkering tools out of carbide, and we make a power machine. And so um, uh, we just have been struggling to keep up with the demand. And uh, I started the company nine and a half years ago. So it's just been growing ever since. And checkering is kind of coming back, I feel like. And I, we're, you know, it's gaining in popularity again. I think it was kind of lost, maybe because there was a, a diminutive effect from the from the lack of tools, and so the, the the interest level had gone down. But with us being able to supply tools right away, and people aren't waiting for them, I think that's really helped. Yeah, I, I maybe wasn't very clear on my answer for for machining, but I, I don't know if I can. Answer. I mean, that's that's pretty big content right there for those who work in any sort of fabrication or ma- manufacturing capacity or anyone who just deals with logistics hitting the sweet spot on uh, turning around a profitable small batch anything really is is a trick and is negotiating that hurdle is one reason why so many aspiring small fiz- businesses don't get to where they want to be because it's just so difficult yeah it is and it's taken some it was a big learning curve, and I'm self-taught as far as CNC work goes, and as far as CAD and CAM work. So uh, there's been a big learning curve at the beginning, but we, we've kind of struggled and and powered through it in a way. And and I it helped to have, I guess, when I started probably 20 some years as a manual machinist, as a gunsmith, and a gun maker, I had that experience to build on. But as far as like the computers were going and everything, I I was had to figure that part out on your own. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, and a, a lot of well, similar to SDI, a lot of remote learning um, and watching YouTube videos and and taking some classes online and you know, kind of 
figuring it out from there. You mentioned that you're the only manufacturer of these parts that uses carbide. Correct. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, the checkering tool, so it cuts the diamonds in a stock and we are the only one, everyone else is using a steel of some sort and I'm not entirely certain what they use. I, I don't want to speculate on. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got you. Yeah, I'll speculate in private what I think they're using, but <laughs> um, but we our single line cutters are made out of carbide. We do have a line of spacing tools that help with the layout process uh, by hand that are made from tool steel, but everything else is made out of carbide. But most people are using some sort of steel for their single line cutters and their you know their mullard cutters or you know whatever beaded cutters whatever there is they're making but we make either tool steel or or carbide and then our wheel we also manufacture uh you remember those fat pencils you got when you were a kindergartner or first grader when you're oh yeah absolutely yes so we we manufacture a circular saw that's about as big as one of those pencils that you hold in your hand and so it's a power checkering machine and um it, is it the Titan on your website? That's the Titan, yes. Yeah. And so that drastically reduces the time it takes to checker. And the wheel, we make that also, and the wheel is uh, made out of carbide. And what's the advantage of using carbide over steel? Longevity. I think the steels that some people are using are probably lasting maybe anywhere from one to three gun stocks. And with our cutters, you can get... 30 to 40 gun oh. stocks before you're like, ah, this is maybe getting a little dull. Um, and uh, they'll handle muck better, if you will, especially on like a recut. If you're shooting, grand if you're recutting the checkering on grandpa's old shotgun or something, and he's it's got dirt and, and everything in it, it's they the cutters will hold up longer. If it's a British gun, and I, it's not just unique to British, but it seems like they, they use a lot of rotten stone for, for when they do their finishing. And that'll get into the pores of the wood. And then that's pretty hard on a checkering tool also. So again, it's just back to longevity. Hmm. Also, our tools are not, our carbide tools are not machined. Obviously, they're ground. So our edges are really sharp. And our, I mean, you can cut aluminum with our tools and be okay. Ow. Um, let's talk about your, you said you had a fair amount of experience in gunsmithing itself before you moved into this field where you're doing stuff even a little more encompassing than that. Where'd you start out in that? How'd you get into that? And what was that like? So I started about 1996 or so. I, um, I had never had a shop course or anything like that in high school. And I had a bachelor's degree in biology and, I found out through a remodeling of a home that I was pretty handy with my hands. And I uh, also had never shot a gun until I was 19. And so I started developing at 19, I started developing an interest in firearms. And then I found out I was really, you know, just kind of talented with my hands and, and craftsmanship and decided that I wanted to go pursue that. Um, in one of the most, I guess, profound moments of my marriage, I went up to my wife and I said, I think I'd like to be a gunsmith. And she looked at me and said, well, figure it out. 
And, uh, it was the greatest amount of support I could have, you know, because I think there'd be a lot of women that'd be like, you what? You know, so I went to trade school and did that. And then after trade school, I started my own company in Colorado, in southeastern Colorado. And I uh, had a company called Frontier Gunsmithing, and I did a lot of uh, cartridge arms of the American West, you know, refinishing, repair, and then building. But I was also building custom modern sporting arms at the time. And then I was helping out uh, doing subcontract work for about six years for Hill Country Rifles here in New Braunfels, Texas. And um, I had made a pretty good name for myself in Colorado. I was when I was 31, I became a member, a professional member of the American Custom Gunmakers Guild and had a pretty good name and reputation going, but I wasn't a great businessman. And so I was kind of struggling financially. And um, Hill Country offered me a paycheck, which was something new to me. And yeah, pretty uh, exciting conceptually. Uh, I went and worked for them for about 12 years. Some of it was part time towards the latter part of it. And I um, was building guns for them, and I was doing their... They had a series for a while called the American Classic, which was kind of a custom bolt-action rifle, and I was building those. Then I designed what they still sell, the Genesis rifle, which was a woodstock on a... The original concept was a woodstock on a you know stainless 700-based action in barrel and so i designed something that could be kind of quickly built and assembled and meet their standards and they still build that and i actually still checker their stocks for them that's awesome when they do build them and uh at about that time john dorian who owned jnr engineering which was checkering tool company he passed away kind of unexpectedly in a skiing accident so his business was left kind of out there and through a, a series of, uh, of events, I was able to get a hold of the family and started talking to them. And it took about seven months or so. And then I acquired the assets of J, uh, in our engineering and brought it from Massachusetts to Texas. And then we kind of, one of his cousins was able to come and help me for a couple of weeks, kind of help me get started. And we reverse engineered everything else. And then we've improved on it. Uh, you know, there were no CNC machines when he had it. There were, there were no big surface grinders when he had the company. You know, so we took a lot of what he had, which, and his father started it also. I guess he and his dad, or maybe his dad started it, uh, Rainey. And so we took that and kind of have built upon that. And then the real impetus for the boutique manufacturing was because of, I was like, oh, we need a CNC because I couldn't keep building guns. By then I had left Hill Country Rifles and I was, on my own back to building custom, you know, heirloom quality firearms, which is kind of right, my right. real passion. And I could just be, I, I kind of bought them that started the checkering company because I thought it'd be a nice side hustle. And it turned into this behemoth that it has. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's we're not massive, right? I mean, I have one full-time employee now too, and a, and a part-time gal, but it started to really take away from my ability to build custom guns. And I didn't want to get away from that. So we started the CNC and then, but I only needed it for a few of our products. And so then it's like, well, what else can we do? Because I spent all this money on this machine and it needs to keep making me money. And that's when we really started getting into the small scale manufacturing. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. Another thing I noticed with Ullman Precision is that, you know, one of the things you do is whether it's on the blog that's on your website or, you know, have access to the YouTube channel you started, you are very willing to give out advice and information. Uh, where did that, I guess, that desire to educate come from? You know, uh, I don't know. Uh, my wife is an educator. Uh, my mom was an educator. And I also was almost an absolute failure in school. So I guess I kind of feel like I, I wanted to try to convey things to people so that they could learn. I think also it, it really stems from my passion because firearms in general, I mean, I have a, you know, my niche that I really love, right? But Overall, I have a really deep-seated passion for firearms, for how they look, for how they function, for how they feel, for for all of that. And I don't want it to end with me sort of thing. So if I can get people enthused about it, that's great. And in today's world, you know, we see more mass manufacturing and we see more nowadays when you go to look at guns, it's a lot of synthetic stocks. So the Woodstock is starting to maybe be surpassed by by the synthetic stock. And companies like Hill Country Rifles, you know, they, gosh, it must be 99% of their business is that now, you know? And so I'm trying to help promote craft that is, I don't think it's dying. I think it's still kind of growing in enthusiasm and people still have a, a wanderlust for a Woodstock rifle. There's just something about it that you can't get from a synthetic gun or an aluminum, you know, handguard or, or whatever like that. Um, so there's a passion involved with it and I don't want it to, you know, I want to see it keep going. It's my mission personally, I guess, you know, the American custom Gunmakers guild has that same sort of mission. Um, and we recognize that, you know, it's not for everyone, but, but that there's a beauty in handmade things, and I and I and I appreciate beauty, and that's why I want to keep promoting it. Okay, all time. I know you've done a lot of it, but what is your favorite checkering project you've ever taken on? Do you have one? Oh, holy cow! Um, if I clean it up, uh, you first need to know that checkering is. Uh, your last best chance to really screw up a perfectly good gun stock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, like, everyone is a little bit terrifying uh, to get started on. And I would say, I don't know if it's my favorite, but probably the one I'm most proud of was, it was actually the gun was recently on the cover of Gunmaker magazine from the Guild in this, yes. on the winter issue. But I did a mini Hagen, and I the action is really very petite and very small. And I proportioned the stock and the whole gun to the size of the action instead of like making a you know a full size stock. It's it's very dainty. The whole gun weighs three and a half pounds maybe. And the checkering on that job is the whole job is done at thirty two lines to the inch, and it's a simple point pattern. But at 32 lines of the inch, it's pretty technically challenging. And it, on the grip, it wraps over the top. And so, you know, you, you do a whole pattern that covers both sides and the top of the grip and almost touching in the, at the bottom. And that was challenging. And it came out really well. I, I, you know, I don't want to 
brag, but it was probably the best chapgreen job I've ever done. And it, so it's definitely the one I'm probably the most proud of. I mean, a long time. I'm not slow. I'm not the fastest checker out there, but a simple four panel checkering job, you know, I can do that reasonably fast within a few hours. And I think I spent 35 hours on this checkering job just because it was so detailed and, and everything was so tiny. And I just was really not wanting to make a mistake. Well, don't be afraid of bragging. This is, this is the platform to do it, sir. That sounds amazing. You know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, at the very beginning of that, I imagine that it's very easy to make mistakes, but, you know, mistakes often are the best ways for us to continue learning and to improving. So I wanted to ask you, what would you say is the biggest lesson or the biggest thing you've learned since you've started Oldman Precision? Well, uh, don't panic, probably. I'm a real advocate and of failure you know i i like to say you know let's let's try it and and if we fail great because that's how we kind of learn it's it's really it's a really quick way to learn is by failing you know fast and then building off of that i mean if you fail fast and don't learn from it then that's pointless but but by failing fast and getting something done and learning from that i i would say that's probably the biggest thing i've learned and if you apply it just to checkering in fact the new uh, guy that was with me the other day, I'm checkering a stock and I, I, I slipped a little bit, you know, and I, I cut and he happened to be walking by or whatever. And I just showed him and I said, see this here. I said, this is kind of bad. And a lot of people start worrying about it, really digging at it, but I'm just going to ignore it and not worry about it because it'll probably cut itself out. Uh, because, you know, as you keep going deeper, I was only on my first pass or whatever. So as we keep going deeper, that problem's going to go away. And I suppose there's probably some metaphor for life in that, too, that uh, if you just keep going a little bit deeper, your problems will go away, or at least you'll be able to find a, a resolution for it. Boom. Life lessons with Michael Olden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, philosophy is kind of a side hobby of mine. So really? Yeah. Really? Do you have a favorite philosopher? Yeah. Um I, I'm a pretty big fan of Ayn Rand, quite honestly. I really really like a lot of what she has to say. And I know a lot of people don't, but I love the fact that she's always been promoting people to be true to themselves and to what uh, what they felt was right. And so I try to adhere to that um, idea of kind of staying true to myself so that I am so that I'm happy in the work that I'm doing and creating. And I think that shows through to my work because I'm willing to put the passion and the time into it to make it right because I'm doing something I'm, I am uh, interested in doing. So, you know, I, the fountainhead, I is just probably my favorite book. And, and so I, I really enjoy that, uh, that kind of concept. Oh, cool. That's fascinating. It, I, I don't believe we've ever gotten to talk about philosophy on uh, the podcast, so this is awesome. <laughs> no, I don't think we have. Joe, you have a particular philosopher that you resonate I mean, with? I'm not sure if he qualifies as a philosopher. Maybe. He's more of a pithy maxim spouter, but I adore him. And it's It's got to be Marcus Aurelius. So, like, technically, he does philosophize, but it's less of a 
creation of a school of thought like someone like C.S. Lewis might do, although he's more of a theologian, but you know what I mean. But I find that even if he doesn't delve quite as deeply as some, I have yet to find something that he says that I don't profoundly agree with, and that's a trick. We'll see. I'm not quite finished with meditations yet, but I'm definitely a fan. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I think all of the Stoics are pretty... Uh, well, I guess well-grounded might be kind of an oxymoron, maybe, <laughs> but I really enjoy the Stoics, all of them, you know, as far as that goes. Um, yeah. Because... He's a good read, just flat out. Even if you don't like philosophy, Meditations is enjoyable to read. Yeah, I think it's it, it really is, and it gives... <laughs> you know, I'm uh, 55 now, so I've had a younger life also, and I used to have a little bit of a short fuse, which is probably an understatement sometimes. And especially at work, you know, if I, things didn't go right or they weren't perfect or whatever. And I think through readings of some of the Stoics and also, I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I read the Bible fairly often and there's a lot of good meditations there too. But through that, about being a little bit even tempered and, and everything, it's uh I think it's really benefited me, especially as I have employees now, you know, <clears throat> to not let these problems get to us. You know, the Stoics, a lot of it is, you know, don't worry about what you can't control. And so when we do that and when, when I've had employees that make mistakes or things go wrong, instead of me blowing my top and everything, I'm allowed, I, I've learned to just step back and say, okay, that's all right. You know, that's going to happen and let's move forward. Let's learn from that. And I think it's it's really helped both me as a boss and as a father and as a you know a husband and and everything. So I I really appreciate the Stoics. Well, that's a good point though about the uh, like the difference is how if you're working on something by yourself versus like okay now I'm running a company and I have employees like how you conduct yourself then. So bravo on recognizing that and being able to implement that. I mentioned earlier, I'm a big advocate for failure. Well, if I'm going to be an advocate for failure, then I need to make that okay also. So mm. I need to make that okay for my employees and for myself. Uh, to, That's well said. To, to fail. Because if, if, I, if I stand on one side of the room and say, oh, I'm a big advocate of failure, and then you screw up, and then I yell at you, <laughs> yeah. obviously I'm a liar. You know, So I think it's it's important to, to just kind of have that attitude that, that this is going to be okay and this was out of our control or we could have done a better job of controlling it um and here's what we learned you know i just got out of our production meeting for the week and i mean it sounds like i'm a big shop right but there's three of us or now four i guess that meet every thursday and i'm like what we start off with well what went wrong and what can we learn from it and then what went well and what can we learn from it and then we go into what do we need to do next week. But we start with kind of addressing any issues that we have so that we kind of just get them out of the way. And is there something that you see that needs addressing, whether it's, please remind me we need to buy paper towels or we've got to do something about, you know, whatever, this feeds and speeds on certain tool because we keep breaking cutters. And that was a problem this week, you know, so. Yeah. Nice. Joey, to answer your question, I'm a... I'm a big fan of Kierkegaard. He's sort of that whole like Christian existentialist alley. I forgot who wrote it, but um, I like certain aspects of the Tao Te Ching. 
And of course, my favorite has to be the um, the great Californian philosopher Steve Smith uh, and his philosophy of ice up sun. I think yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's just kind of you know how I live my life. Are you talking about Steve Smith Senior, or are you talking about Stephen A. Smith? Oh, that's Steve Smith Senior. Apologies. Okay. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Good lord, you almost got kicked off your own show. Isn't Stephen A. Smith from North Carolina, though? I don't know. He went I don't to know where these he went to Winston Salem State. Wait, really? Yeah. I just glanced out my window at Winston Salem State. It is literally directly across the street from me. Mm-hmm. That is too funny. Yeah, you wouldn't think it though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Michael, if I was interested in getting started uh, checkering on my own, is there a particular type of project or like a firearm or material that you'd recommend a beginner start with? And I also want you to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about you offering a starter kit on your website. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. Um, so I recommend that you practice on something flat for a really short time, like maybe one time, and just to get a feel for it. And then after that, you know, scrap gun stocks or a dime a dozen. And if you can find some old tattered one and recut it, if it's got checkering on it, especially like, uh, boy, if you can find the old Remington's, say that had that pressed in checkering, you know, it was just like a big stamp and it's kind of reversed. You can cut those lines with a tool and point it up to make it look like real checkering. And so that's a great project too. But, you know, most of checkering is done over a con, I had to stop and think of it, a (laughs) convex surface, uh, you know, so, and so the checkering on a flat surface is great i mean even a 1911 grip has got a little bit of a curve to it mm-hmm. so uh, that's why i say you can check her f- on a flat piece once and i did once in my career when i first started i keep it it's on a sanding block and it, uh, it's that i still use to shape gun stocks to this day and there's a diamond that looks absolutely terrible the lines are all crossed and run over and everything and but after that i went straight to trying to checker old gun stocks and then it wasn't long for me and i just started checkering uh, gun stocks but i mean if you really can be picky if you really want to say it yeah if you can find english thin-shelled walnut that's always best it's just the most or least most forgiving i guess is in the sense of it's not gonna bust a point like harder woods will like maple or or uh, even american walnut or claro did i have enough disdain in my voice when i said claro you know, it just is real chippy. It looks great, but it's boy, it's hard to work with. I wouldn't, I would never think of doing seven or thirty-two lines to the inch at you know on a piece of Claro, but it'll work. I mean, you can do it, but you'll you'll also, I guess, it'll give you the opportunity if you want to look at it positively. Cutting Claro will give you the opportunity to learn how to fix problems because you're going to break diamonds and stuff on that. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you. Oh, so the starter set too, you'd mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it was a series of tools that I came up with that I felt like were the bare minimum to do a checkering job. And those, so that's what we sell those as a set and just kind of the, the basic tools to get you started and quality tools that will last a while 
you know, I really don't want to use too cheap a tools, you know, for any project I'm doing. It doesn't have to be gun work. And so these, once you buy those, they'll last a while, but they'll be, you'll be able to do most checkering jobs with that starting starter set. I think there's probably, you get to a little bit more advanced, maybe some fleur de or uh, ribbons and those sorts of things. You need more tools you know, that you can get from old precision products. But, you know, we offer a wide variety, but those those ones there are like my go-tos. Those are the ones that are the workhorses and I felt like would be necessary for just getting started. And then you can kind of figure out where you want to go from there. Like for us, it's just kind of a little tidbit, but our carbide tools are like a single cut file. So they only cut in one direction. So they'll cut either as you push the tool or as you pull it. And uh, like in the starter set, we do provide you with some push and some pull tools so that you also get a feel for what you like. Because I have customers that only cut on the push or others that only cut on the pull. And then there's plenty of people like myself that cut on the push and the pull, depending on where we're at and what we're doing. So this gives you the opportunity, the starter set gives you the opportunity to kind of experiment with what works best for you because ultimately that's what's important is what you know what works for you awesome awesome thank you very much so we're coming to the end right now of the episode i do have a couple more questions you know you mentioned that you guys recently hired two new employees in your mind what's the next step for Ullman precision well one to just clarify it's one new employee i have uh, i've had apologies one for, for a few years and then we just hired another one We've got some stuff in the works. I, I, you know, one of the problems with small businesses sometimes you run up against uh, capital issues, and so uh, we're probably at a point where we really need to expand. We need. Uh, I'd like to get some bigger and faster machines, and that requires. We're pretty packed in the building we're at, and so it's a challenge. You know, we've. I th- feel like we've maximized the space we have, and there's not much room for growth anymore i mean at one point that i never thought that that building would fill up with machines let alone needing more space and we're going to continue to grow we try to offer tools to schools and to promote our products and the craft of checkering and of gun making both of those and um yeah so i think that's probably where we're going right now all right there's definitely some machine growth that needs to happen Mm mm-hmm Gotcha. Joey, did you have anything else you want to ask? I think you've answered most of the questions I had. Thank you so much for coming and sharing. This is not a corner of uh, the gunsmithing world that we have covered ever before. And we are four years in, so those are becoming less and less frequent. So thank you so much for that. I think this is just a really fascinating business. And I think you cover a very special niche within our industry. So thank you for doing all that you do. And uh, I hope you just have so much success in expanding out into this this next phase that you're, you're targeting. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's I tell people we're a niche market inside of a niche market. And so it's very spe- uh, specified, but um, it's been rewarding for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So, yeah, Michael, thanks again for coming on to the show. Do you have any parting words that you want to leave the Gunrack Mafia with? <laughs> Geez, I wish I had something really profound to say, but I don't, I guess. You know, I uh, 
I wish everyone out there the best. And um, I guess feel free to give us a ring if they've got questions or or anything as far as checkering or, or, or uh, whatever. I'm usually happy to try to expound something worthwhile. And we've already gotten philosophical already, too. So you've already, you know, exceeded our quota of philosophical musings. So yeah. uh, thank you for that. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. And uh, to the Gunwreck Mafia out there, if you want to keep up with everything that Michael and Ullman Precision are doing, you can follow them on Facebook. Uh, you can follow them on Instagram at Ullman Precision Products. And be sure to check out uh, the website at ullmanprecision.com for all you guys that are aspiring gunsmiths and you know wanting to get some top quality checkering tools. Uh, definitely be sure to check out Ullman Precision. Joey, you want to take us home, buddy? Yeah, for now, folks, that is the gun rack. Have fun, stay safe out there, and we will see you at the range. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the DEAC. It is headquartered at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, visit sdi.edu.